Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Tuesday, August 23rd. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Are you friends with the people you work with? After going through the great resignation or starting to work remote, more and more are saying that work friendships are harder to form and also less of a priority. In a survey of U.S. employees, relationships with coworkers tied at the very bottom as a factor for job satisfaction. Compensation and work-life balance ranked the highest. What's more, half of workers aged 18 to 25 said workplace friendships were not at all important. Lindsay Ellis, careers reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for how Americans are breaking up with their work friends. Next, there's one place in the country that is a constant factor in why airline travel can be so bad, Florida. The airspace in Florida can serve as an obstacle course for airlines, and the effects of delays cascade throughout the rest of the country, even if you're not flying through the area. Bad weather, military exercises, space launches, and being short-staffed at air traffic control all contribute to woes of flyers. Micah Maidenberg, space and aviation reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for why you can blame Florida for making air travel so miserable. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. What we're observing here is a sense that workers are really building up firmer walls between life and work and really disentangling themselves from the emotional side of the workplace. Joining us now is Lindsay Ellis, careers reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I love all these stories about what's going on in the workplace, workplace culture, how things have changed, especially over the big disruptor, over the pandemic. You know, we saw what was going on with the great resignation, a lot of people leaving jobs, um, a lot of people starting new jobs. And what we're seeing right now uh, when it comes to workplace friendships, as we've seen all this uh, changeover, turnover, all that, and, and people working for remote work, a lot of people are saying, you know what, it's not as important to me anymore to have some deep friendships there in the workplace. So, Lindsay, what are we seeing out there? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting shift. Pre-pandemic at so many offices, work was so much of people's lives. I mean, it, it kind of had to be, right? I mean, you go in every day, you're sitting at your desk for a certain number of hours. The people who sit next to you in those cubicles or elsewhere in the workplace are sort of in it with you, and you kind of have to get along in a lot of cases. <laughs> right. But the pandemic really shook things up for a lot of people, and I've been sensing a, 
a great degree of detachment from work, this untethering of people's identities from what they do for a living. And I was looking at some of the research that's been done, and it's not just, you know, a few people who um, I've been talking to or the many people that I interview, you know, among nearly 4,000 hybrid workers surveyed by Gallup in June, 17% said they had a best friend at work. And that's down from the 22% who said so in 2019. For all workers, regardless of whether they were hybrid, fully remote, on-site, the share that reported a close work friend also fell slightly from uh, 20% to 19%. So what we're observing here is a sense that workers are really building up firmer walls between life and work and really disentangling themselves from the emotional side of the workplace. Right. And, and you know, uh, these deeper work friendships are also a function of time passing, too. You know, so if you're starting a new job, all that, you're going to have to work much harder to to make those connections. And, and, you know, to the point of working remotely, right? You're just not in it with them every day. You don't see those people every day. So it's even harder and, you know, kind of draining for people, they've said, to start making those connections. There are some that kind of still miss the old socializing. You know, they want to have that. But increasingly, we're seeing this change, and especially with younger workers, too, who came into the workforce during this whole time of remote work and and all this disruption. So that's a really good point, and I'm glad you called out that that specific cohort of these younger workers. You know, a lot of 20-somethings, they may have taken their first full-time jobs um, during the pandemic in the last two, two and a half years. And so their introduction to work in the workplace is very different than perhaps yours or mine was pre-pandemic. Um, but it doesn't seem like, according to one survey by the company Captera, that they really want to make a change. I mean, that organization surveyed a number of workers between the ages of 18 and 25, and they said, you know, half of them said that workplace friendships were either not at all important or minimally important. So it's not as if, you know, the vast majority of those individual surveys are sitting around longing for the sense of connection. It's, it's not sort of ranking that highly for them. It's something that they want to pursue. Right. Uh, in the, this recent survey, uh, I guess uh, relationships with coworkers tied with recognition for the least important factors in job satisfaction. Obviously, everybody wants compensation and that work-life balance. Those are the most important choices that they're looking for. And, you know, continuing on with even this theme of the younger workers, uh, you wrote another article. I just wanted to bring it up because it was so interesting about quiet quitting. And a lot of people do, what do they do? They turn to social media and start talking about it. And just kind of this thought of, you know, I'm not going to go above and beyond anymore. I'm just going to do the bare minimum. Maybe I'm on my way out, who knows. But either way, continuing on this work-life balance, they they really want to separate themselves from the identity of the job place and, you know, just kind of just, just do the, the bare minimum. So I first came across the sense of quiet quitting um, from social media. I mean, it was a topic that Millions of people were viewing and engaging with on TikTok, on other sites like Reddit. It was something that folks were bringing up. People were making YouTube videos. And the sort of the descriptions of what that actually means can, can differ for different people. But I think you hit the nail on the head here. For a lot of people, it's I'm not going to go above and beyond for my workplace. You know, I get paid a certain amount. This is what's in the job description. I'm going to follow that to the letter. And then at the end of the day, when it's time to clock out, I'm clocking out. 
overall, you know, employee engagement has fallen, according to Gallup research. And Gallup's chief, chief workplace scientist, Jim Harder, you know, described sort of their category of not engaged as fairly aligned with this quiet quitter mentality. You know, more than half of workers surveyed by Gallup who were born after 1989, 54% sort of were categorized as a not engaged worker. Um, So there's a, a large swath of the workplace that is really not feeling like this is the place that I am going to pursue a passion, something with purpose. They're, they're going in, you know, earning the money, doing their job and kind of moving on at the end of the day. Yeah. And I'm curious what this does for employers, right, uh, trying to build businesses and, and keep production uh, productivity up with disengagement, with people not wanting to uh, be friends. You know, I'm, I'm willing to bet having a friend at work makes you want to spend a little more time there or something like that. So, you know, what this does for the workplace and how it changes is, is kind of an interesting thing that I'm sure we'll be talking about more. So for now, we'll keep an eye out on all of that. But people just don't want to be your friend and they, <laughs> they don't want to be uh, really working too hard right now. So we'll keep an eye out for it. Lindsay Ellis, Careers Report at The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late everyone, there was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. (sighs) Good one dad. (sighs) Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I've been traveling for over 50 years and I've seen it all. There's no nothing you can do. Why get upset, you know, you just plug away and keep a positive attitude and that's all there is. Mother Nature. Mother Nature. Joining us now is Micah Maidenberg, space and aviation reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Micah. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Nobody really wants to pile on on Florida. Maybe they do, but when it comes to <laughs> airline travel being so bad, we've been hearing all the stories of what's been going on, delays. We know that airlines are short-staffed coming out of the pandemic, but you know, mm-hmm. it's one of the biggest industry, industries that we've been wanting to come back to uh, to spur the economy and all that. But you know, much of what's to blame for 
unfortunately runs through Florida. Uh, they have this kind of obstacle course of the airspace that people have to jump through. And, uh, you know, one problem there, one delay there really cascades throughout the rest of the country. And, and you know, we've been hearing about all, like, as I mentioned, all these delays happening across the, the airline industry. So, Micah, tell us a little bit more about why Florida sure. is so important in this. Yeah, well, I guess maybe the first thing to to realize there, or that's really interesting about this, is that that you know even though, um, you, you know, U.S. domestic flights overall are for the first half of the year um, are still lower than they were compared to to 2019, they're up in Florida. You know, Florida is is back. You know, to, to pre-pandemic levels, um, and that's just for for airline flights. And then you layer on, um, you know, weather challenges uh, and an increasing, you know, some really tough stretches of weather this spring, especially. You add in space launches, more uh, private planes flying, you know, ongoing military exercises, flight training, you know, from the Navy and, and Air Force and so on in the state. Um, and then some staffing challenges, both for the airlines and, you know, the FAA air traffic control side. And you just you've got, I mean, forgive the pun, kind of a perfect storm yeah. of, of challenges that that make Florida airspace, um, you know, unique and, and a bit of an outlier, you know, uh, during this kind of rebound in, in air travel, you know, so far this year. So and then but, but to your point, like and then sometimes when when Florida gets backed up, that you know, causes delays, it causes cancellations, it causes, you know, crews, it can cross crews on airlines to, to time out. And, and then that backs up the schedule elsewhere. And that sort of cascades problems, yeah. you know, um, around the country. Yeah, right? that's, that's the biggest thing, because even if you're not flying through Florida, everything else can be impacted by what happens there. I mean, uh, you know, you mentioned crew time, right? There's very tight numbers on how long a, 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 a crew can fly, all that. And if they go yeah. overtime one here, I mean, they can make it back to their destination where your plane is supposed to be. But if they're on overtime by that point, you know, they have to find new crew. Delays, delays, delays. You know, so even if you're not flying through this, the delays can keep a, a, a massing right there. And, you know, we're talking about the first six months of 2022. So on average, we saw one-fifth of flights delayed uh, reaching their destination the first six months of 2022. That's a lot of flights mm -hmm. that are being delayed right there. That, yeah, that's the national number. And then the, the big airports in, in Florida, sort of, you know, almost all of them um, perform worse than that. So there, there's a, a sort of particular, you know, challenge in Florida right now that's, that's made air travel, you know, tough there. And, and I'm sure, you know, many of your yeah. listeners have, or have, have experienced that. I mean, I'm getting nervous. I'm flying for the first time since the pandemic in September, and I'm just hearing mm -hmm. all these stories and just kind of getting nervous about it. So we'll see what happens there. But uh, tell me, uh, digging into a little bit more, tell us a little bit about these space launches and military operations, because we know Florida is a big hub for that, and that can be very impactful. Yeah. I, the, I mean, the basic thing to know is that, um, you know, military operations and space launches um, – of course, the space launches happen at, you know, uh, Kennedy Space Center run by NASA, kind of on the central coast, a little bit east of Orlando, and rockets shoot out over, you know, the Atlantic Ocean. Um, and then there's a number of, of military bases that have, you know, aviation 
uh, you, you know, sort of operations like kind of across the state. You know, this, I guess the thing to know, just very simply put, is like, you know, when those vehicles, whether they're military or space, are using or that airspace, like, you know, the FAA has to clear out room for them um, and account for, um, you know, those operations while still filtering through, you know, this higher number, this higher volume of sort of commercial traffic and dealing with all the other uses of the airspace, like private airplanes as well. So like basically when you, when you launch a a rocket or, you know, you're running some kind of, you know, military test operation, you know, with aircraft, um, you, you know, you need airspace too. And that means others can't use it. So it creates kind of a capacity crunch. Now, I, I should say, and I will say, like, you know, our reporting did indicate that, you know, airlines and the FAA have been working really closely together to try to figure this stuff out, figure out how to, like, make the system run better in Florida. The FAA has been working to communicate, more, you know, more frequently about kind of airspace events that could affect operations and also find ways to sort of add capacity in the air. Um, open up new routes, new opportunities for for planes to fly at different altitudes to try to, you know, um, get keep keep things moving, so to speak. And then tell me a little bit about staffing, because we know that the airlines laid off a lot of people during the pandemic because nobody was flying. Right. Um, we've been waiting to see how we rebound there, and th- we know this is a huge, a crucial element to a lot of these delays. Yeah, I mean, the airlines, like as you said, like went through this cycle of, of um, you know, the pandemic and and sort of staffing down and staffing back up really quickly to sort of meet the demand. And it's been, you know, it's not been easy, you know. And part of the the story earlier this summer and spring was airlines, you know, struggle to just simply meet it, keep keep you know hire bring enough people on to sort of keep up with the demand that they were seeing i mean lots of people have been wanting to travel this year no question about it and then on the faa side you know the the airlines and the the agency have been really focused on sort of air traffic controller staffing levels in particular at this uh air traffic control center that's located just outside of jacksonville and so this air traffic control center has a really crucial, it plays a really crucial role in sort of managing traffic flows, like all like up and down Florida between like really dense population centers in the Northeast and South Florida. And so, you know, you know, Jacksonville airport is not, for example, like the biggest, you know, the, the busiest airport sort of in the state, but this air traffic control center there is just a, a really critical sort of, um, uh, hub, if you will, sort of managing traffic that comes in and out right. on these like north-south routes. So, you know, there's been some staffing challenges there. Um, you know, the the airlines, according to the airlines and some of their trade represent trade group representatives, and the FAA has said, look, we're going to add staff where demand is needed. They're they're in the process of like adding 30 more controllers there, and kind of working through this training backlog that formed um, during uh, the pandemic. You know, all of this points to how delicate the ecosystem is of the airlines and all of this airspace. And as I mentioned, even if you're not flying through Florida, you know, their airspace does impact a lot of other flight schedules around the country, Uh, you know, and, and it leads on to people that are trying to fly, getting their 
uh, flights delayed, flights canceled, then the scramble to reschedule a flight. You know, it all gets very hectic very quickly. Uh, what are the airlines saying for their part in all of this? I mean, obviously the staffing thing is, is an issue, but right. But beyond that, what do they say about how they're trying to make it better? I, I mean, the, the airlines um, acknowledge that it's been like a really like it's been a tough run. Um, there, there's some disagreement, you know, between the industry and the FAA about where sort of the, 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 the problem precisely lies in terms of staffing in particular. But I think the, you know, the airlines themselves, like one question, you know, for the airlines is, did, you know, did, did they overschedule, mm-hmm. you know, relative to sort of um, resources on hand to sort of manage that, uh, that demand? You know, and some carriers have you know, after some difficult travel stretches this spring, like cut back on some of their schedules and how much they're flying. Um, others have said that they would, you know, there's just the, 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 the state is still constrained in terms of sort of uh, the ability to fly there and they'd fly there more if they could, but they just, they can't right now. So at the same time, like the, the carriers and um, the FAA are, you know, communicating and trying to sort of come up with ways to just sort of smooth things out. Um, sometimes they, there's, there's just only so much they can do though. I mean, right. just to go back to like, you know, the, the, the high level thought here is like, you know, weather is really tough in Florida sometimes. And like, sometimes there's just nothing anybody can do if a storm is, you know, kind of almost bisecting the state and kind of cutting off all of those North South, you know, highways in the sky. Um, but that's, that's the challenge of, of <laughs> kind of coordination between the FAA and industry totally. and the, the job of air traffic control. Well, flying right now is a little bit frustrating at times, uh, but now you know why Florida plays such an outsized part in all of that, even though, even though you're not flying anywhere near there. Micah Maidenberg, space and aviation reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Have a good evening. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is your Daily Dive. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.